Welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life. Today, Peter and I are going to be speaking from a paper that Peter recently completed, which will be available to anyone who requests it. And I thought, how am I going to introduce today? And Peter said, well, just give them the title. And it pretty much says it all. Our title today is Finding Meaning and Purpose in Challenging and Very Difficult Times. Uh, and the way that these times affect all our lives. Mm -hmm. So, with that said, hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today we continue in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, or Peter, as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with almost 50 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. Sounds good to me too. But you know, I just as you're saying that, we were just there was an article in the New York Times big piece today uh, called "Can the Traumas of War uh, Can the Trauma of War Lead to Growth Despite the Scars?" And it's by Phil Clay, who is an award-winning uh, writer. It's a good article, but in it, it's interesting because as she's reading, I'm just thinking. Uh, a psychologist in the Veteran Administration felt that that was being an insult. An insult to, to people. To say that post-traumatic growth was possible was an insult to the people who had and served. I don't, I don't agree one bit. And I've been, a, I've been a, th a psychologist and therapist for a long time, and I'm beyond that now. I'm glad to say I specialize in uh, trauma recovery, consulting, and mentoring. But you know, when I heard that. I know that's the kind of thinking that where people just bog down in the negatives of psychotherapy. And um, that's part of why you left that it is, type of profession. It is, because after a while it gets so negative and so indulgent. But the truth of the matter is, you hear things like that and you go, there is so much beyond trauma, but you're not going to get there until you get through the trauma. In fact, you probably won't realize a lot of it until you you have been traumatized, and and we're gonna we wrote a paper on it, and I I, I like the paper. In fact, we're gonna do some things to to submit it to a couple of the big papers. Um, hopefully, they'll take it. New York Times or the uh, Wall Street Journal. I like it because it gives you hope. And um, one of the things in in going over this paper today, and I, I like it. You no, know, and I was telling I was telling Steve, our producer. The steps, the, the positive, the principles there have become very relevant to me because now we see people who are not following those principles and we're seeing what's happening during this COVID-19 crisis and the frustrations and the anger and the demonstrations and the destructiveness. And we're seeing what, how bad people can get, not just to others, but to themselves. We've watched people become very par paralyzed in fear angry, frustrated, um, attacking the things that have meant so much to them. And when then I, I look at the, the principles and I go, you know what, when I read them now, I actually think about people that I know that have, that have not embraced these principles 
and look what's happening to them. So to me, it becomes more, it's even more relevant now. Um, these are people I care about. It's not just strangers, although they're strangers, I see what they're doing too. Um, but I'm watching and how they're just so depressed and so helpless and hopeless and discouraged. And yet, our principles and the kinds of things we're talking about, we deal with trauma, we help people through it, we have our own traumas, and yet we wouldn't be the people we are today or are going to be if we didn't believe that there was some hope and that there was good that could come out of these very difficult times. There are good things that come out of it. I think the insensitivity could be that when we're in the midst of it and people are really in emotional pain, that you can't just throw away, you know, throw out, oh, they feel great and there's going to be hope and you're going to do, you're going to grow and do wonderful. That would be real insensitive. That's true. So to apply it, the timing is so crucial on um, what we're talking about. In fact, this paper that we wrote is a take, we took off on a paper we wrote 10 years ago during the Great Recession. And we watched the phases of helping people and what happened and what we went through and what others went through during that time. And we realized even then, when we wrote this paper, we had to update it even during the crisis because we eventually turned it into from surviving to thriving. Now, if we would have talked about thriving... If we were to talk about thriving now, where we are with the pandemic, yeah, no. we'd be being insensitive. Yeah, we would be, because I think many people are just, most people are just floundering. And they don't know what's going to happen next week or next month. The media, the politicians, whatever, all these things are, are just fueling the unsettled feelings that people have and the fear and the anger and frustration. Um, I'm hearing about more and more businesses going out of business. They're not sure. They, they were starting to roll out and start up again, and now they're getting pulled back, and their well, employees are, the, are getting sick. Or How do they handle these situations? Those are the ones that are making it. Some of, a lot of them are wiped. They're done now. Well, they're just done. So, I mean, it's, it is a very difficult time. So if we were to talk about thriving now, I'd say that'd be pretty insensitive. If we were going to talk about growth and we were going to talk about hope, we want to put it in the context of where, thing, where things are today. And we don't want to be insensitive. Do I think and know that good can come out of this? I am sure of it. But when I know when I'm in the midst of my pain, I know that it's, it's pretty hard to think, hopefully. And yet, since I've been through so much in my life and so much with other people, there's something in me deeper that I have a, a kind of an, a base of knowing I've been through other hard times and I've come through it. And each time, some, for the better, and I grow and my sense of purpose becomes clearer and clearer. And I become a more mature and a better person for sure, better than I could have been otherwise. So I know that deep inside, but if somebody were to say, oh, knock it off, and there's gonna be so much growth and you're gonna do fine at, at, that would be very insensitive, and of course we don't think that way. So even in the, you know, this paper that I wrote, we're applying it to the current situation in the COVID-19 crisis now. Um, so we, we're not talking about thriving, we're talking about surviving, but what can come out of it as people move through it. That's and right. Jenny's going to, um, she underlined things because we went over this paper. I've we read went it. over it this morning, yeah. and, and when we did, you, the place you wanted to start was uh, when we enter a time like now, uh, where very difficult time, uh, adverse, hard time, suffering, the place to start uh, is for people, they're almost forced to look at themselves. Um, 
to find out where they are and how they're doing and how everything is impacting them. Okay, and I'm glad you, you do need to start there because that's where everybody needs to start. Um, during these times, it's so easy to get caught up in the circumstances that we don't really see a bigger purpose and, we, and we're just, we're treading water at best. Um, but what, we, what we've discovered over and over again in the life that we live, the extraordinary kind of reality we work in, is that it forces us to look at ourselves. It really forces us to begin to, to examine our humanity and the humanity of, around us, the conditions of life. And it's never easy. It usually is very, very painful to, to have to come to grips with taking a, a look at ourselves and where we really are. It's very painful. It's, it's very, why many people don't even find themselves able to start. They get stuck. They get stuck or they run away or, or they, they run away. understand. But we see some pretty, uh, I want to say, un unusual kinds of reactions. And yet they're probably not that unusual. But they're not the right ones. No. No. They're no. not the ones that are going to lead to anything constructive, purposeful, or fulfilling. Um, it really is the first step on this path to finding some growth and hope and, and something and good. That's right. Now, what does that come through? You can't even get, and I want to say this right in the beginning, to get to the kind of hope and trust and faith that we're talking about, you can't get there until you go through the more difficult things, the discouragement, the panic, the despair. The having not, not having the control and security that we've been raised to believe would give us that kind of sense of well-being, all of those things begin to come into being challenged, during, particularly during a crisis. We, of course, in the kind of work we do as caregivers of different kinds and frontline workers, uh, and I know there's many out there, of different, we all have different jobs on, our front, on the front lines. Um, after, we all go in with really good intentions and a lot of good training. Um, and we want to do good. We want to give. We want to fix things. We want to make people, we want to be there for them. And what we've come to realize when you're on the front lines of a crisis of any kind is we're helpless. There is a point where we can do no more. Um, we're dealing with sickness, death, dying, accidents, trauma, that is so overwhelming. And with all the skills and all our good intentions, we come to a place of realizing we don't have control. And that's the first thing we begin to look at in ourselves, is that we go in thinking we really know a lot and we want to do good. And then we have a very sobering realization after going a num through a number of these crises that, um, well, <laughs> It doesn't add up to much when you're really helping people just come to the end of their life, um, dealing with terrible sickness that there is no recovery, um, dealing with terrible accidents and, and trauma. It's pretty rough to 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 uh, to look at ourselves and go, we're we're thrown back on ourselves, and all we can do is give them comfort and hold somebody as they're dying or um, clean up terrible accidents or terrible shocking events. It, it, we are affected, but we've also learned to um, put some of those things aside temporarily because we're there to help others, but we are going to face ourselves. We are going to resonate inside with how this stuff is affecting us. And we begin to look at ourselves in a new way, and we realize we're pretty vulnerable.
the kind of work we do kind of strips us eventually. And we wound up a lot of illusions and defenses and all of those things that we have um, aren't going to hold up. And we're made to take a look at ourselves in a much more raw way. Uh, 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 exposed. Exposed way to mm -hmm. ourselves. Very painful. And it's a time when people do feel panic and discouraged and despairing. All of those are uh, pretty intense reactions emotionally. But we've also had to learn how to deal with those emotions and not let them dictate our perspective or we'd never go back the next day to help anybody. You know, I've been doing this, it'll be 50 years in September. So, and I'm not the only one. Jenny's right on the front lines with me. And there are others in our staff, they're all on the front lines one way or another. We are. And uh, we work with people who are on the front lines too. So all of us have to go through these changes and yet there's a resilience that I see in these folks and in me that carries us through to the next day and actually makes us better people for it. I know we're going to break coming. We do, we do. Okay. So I will say, as usual, you've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Peter and I are talking today about uh, how to approach very hard times and find meaning and purpose and growth in the experience, not right away, but how do we approach these times in a way that will help us to come through them in a better place and have some hope. Yeah. Just before our break, uh, we were talking about the first place to start, a very uncomfortable place to start, and that is to take a look at yourself and where you are and what you've lost. Um, I know we talked about um, a loss of control, living in situations where we can't always affect the outcome, and this is the experience of caregivers, first responders, um, you've also talked in your paper, we're going off of one of Peter's, Peter's papers, about other losses that happened during that time. And we discovered a, a principle, and it was really important during the Great Recession, which was really a, a crisis of material devastation on a massive level. And one of the things that we discovered, and on all of us, I know I lost my ranch, I lost a lot, and we were helping a lot of people also, is that we put so much of our identity and our security in material things, accumulating them, um, working really hard for them, um, thinking financial security was going to really make us better people and safer. And that particular crisis stripped millions of people in some incredible ways, and I certainly was stripped. I had been before, so it wasn't, and I rebuilt, so it wasn't the first time. Um, but nonetheless, very, very painful. And what we really had to come to look at is, number one, we got to deal with the crisis of, of losing these tangible things, dealing with, at that time, dealing with banks that acted like organized crime. They were so terrible to people. Um, people losing their jobs, losing their homes, losing their security. We lost so much money in such a short period of time that we had 
it just disappeared. That was the experience of many people at that yeah. time. And it happened in probably six weeks. And it did require some kind of a practical response, but the effect of it went much deeper. Well, it did, you know, thank, I want to say this is looking back. Thankfully, I had experience in the past with dealing with financial crises. I've been raised in the world of business and having my own businesses and family businesses. So it wasn't the first time, and I knew th certain things that had to take, had to happen. Number one was not to be intimidated and bullied by the banks. Um, and they came on just as bad as, almost, they were like mafia. They were so abusive and hard on people and intimidating. And they tried it with me too. I mean, I wasn't, I was just like anybody else. The only difference is I was, I had been through this before in different way at different times. And I really knew the responses that I had to have. I was not gonna be a pushover and I wasn't gonna let them destroy me. But they certainly tried. And uh, I saw a lot of corruption at that time, a lot of, a lot of things that were unbelievable, um, horrible things, but I, I wasn't petrified. I wasn't stuck. I knew what to do and I was, went into action right away to move forward, to, to adapt, to make new decisions. But I was, I was aghast at how people were just absolutely paralyzed and petrified and intimidated. And they didn't know what to do. They were so scared. And part of that fear, uh, panic, the, the stuck place that they were, had to do with the fact that, that for them, as you said a moment ago, the material possessions, the success, the financial security were so much, they felt that was so much an essential part of their life that they had no idea how to face life without them. That's, that is absolutely true. And the other part of it was it, it seemed to drive people into old responses that they had long ago, long before the crisis. And it was kind of latent stuff. And I mean, I've always been, most of my life, I certainly learned to be <coughs> more assertive. But there are people that, that's not what happened when they get scared and overwhelmed, they, and they'd feel a sense of danger. They would go into paralysis. They could not budge. And I remember watching that, and then I'd have to, sometimes help them find new responses that fit now. And I had to give them a different set of responses because all they had, they seemed to get lost in their old response, reactions. And I remember thinking after a while, you know what, we've got to start writing some papers, putting them in the newspaper, writing papers, professional journals. And we even, we wrote a book to help people find new ways to respond during their crisis. And I know it helped a lot of people. That book was, um, Trauma Healing, The Hidden Epidemic, mm -hmm. and we wrote so many papers. And this was a, this paper that we've updated was, the original part was written during was those written times. It was written at that time. We've published, we and had- And parts of it were used in the book itself. Yeah, we also put uh, articles in newspapers too. We did. And I remember uh, a lot of the newspapers wanted our articles, and they mm -hmm. put them in the, and they put them in editorial sections, and some of them were in yeah. bigger sections. But you know why? We wanted to help people realize there is hope and they don't have to be intimidated. In fact, don't let these companies intimidate you. This is you're not alone. This is happening on a massive level and don't let them isolate you to believe that you're a bad person and you're the only person going through this. Everybody, it was happening to millions of people, but one of the strategies is to make you feel like you know, you're a, you're a deadbeat, you're a loser, um, you're, you know, and it made you feel isolated. I remember telling people, no, you're not. And this is on a much grander scale. And frankly, the people that cause this recession 
are the ones that are actually getting the government funds mm-hmm. <laughs> when it should be the people that, and the, who are suffering. They right. were actually made the victims many times. It was a very distorted government bailout for the, because the cor- corporations that caused it got the money again. So, so let's go on. Yeah. You know me with the, with the bank. Let's not get too far okay. on banks. Yeah. So what you said out of that that I want to return to is helping people find new responses. Mm-hmm. That's still true today. There are people who are responding to the COVID pandemic in ways that are not going to help them get through it to a better place. That's true. And, and one of the points that you made in the paper about the material and the tangible side of life is if you don't get stuck you can start to shift to seeing the intangibles. That, that, is a, that should be, and for a lot of people it was, and a lot of others didn't do it, but that, that's what people need to, when they're looking at the challenge themselves, and they realize how much of themselves and their identity is invested in external material things, and how it actually also created, created artificial barriers that didn't have very much caring and empathy for our fellow man. Right. We were, we were all so competitive and so wrapped up in our own survival that we didn't. We lost all that. Um, but during this time of facing that, which is very painful, it's what is painful stripping that is. Yeah. And it's terrifying too. But the the thing that happens when you move through that, further through it, is you begin to discover there's more to life than just tangibles. To um, help you find a, a more uh, enduring and lasting security and what sense of well-being. We call them non-intangibles. The non-tangibles. The intangibles, mm-hmm. which are the things that have to do with really finding meaning and purpose to your life, um, living more creatively, rediscovering what's really important in life, um, the values that you may have lost touch with, embracing them again and getting back to them, um, finding things in your life that you maybe never had that this was a time to find the better, more caring ways, compassionate, uh, caring things for your fellow man, and beginning to realize you're not the only one suffering. And even when you're suffering, there's others that suffer more and being able to reach out you're to them. You're always able to give. In some way. And In some way. And there was a more, there's a genuine, a genuineness that begins, a genuine, really, uh, uh, an integrity of our effort to care about other people. The shared experience, the human experience that is available to connect with if you can put yourself into this kind of a frame of mind. Well, it brings you to a more authentic place. And as far as I'm concerned, um, that's where we all need to be. Um, I know caregivers will discover the ones that don't burn out. to, To live an authentic, truthful life is what really matters. And all of a sudden, the things that aren't so important that the world puts at you and tempts you with and bombards you with, they don't be, they all of a sudden fall into perspective that they're not very important. What really is important is caring and loving and being more compassionate in spite of how you may feel and even if you're suffering. In fact, it's a more genuine experience when you're hurting and suffering and you're able to, in spite of it, able to reach out to others and care for them and, and and recognize their needs and be there for them. That's a very healing experience. But that usually doesn't happen until you're going through these very difficult times. Right. Um, we know that people who are caregivers and work on the front lines, this is part of their 
their road that they're on in life. It's a calling. So they've been, they deal with this a lot for a long, very sacrificial. But that's a very different kind of reality. Most people don't choose to be. Day by day life. And yet, as you said, now the whole world with the pandemic. And that's right. So a lot of the characteristics and the things that we've learned in helping uh, frontline workers, being frontline workers, well, that's, we've been in that world for a long time, but now we're seeing it on a massive level. Everybody is in that extraordinary reality. What we call extraordinary reality. Yeah. The, the fact that, that everyday life is, is intimately connected to life and death experiences and situations. That's right. And, and when you mention that, I think that's one of the things that all frontline workers, that's what we're forced to face, is that we are looking at a condition of life, possibly, that very few people want. We, we've lived such a distracted life that we don't want to even think about death and dying. And yet when you're a frontline worker, you think about it plenty and you're involved in it plenty. And it's painful. It's a very painful reality. And no one escapes it. But yet the way we're, we're set up, particularly in the tangible value sense, everything's distracting. It's designed to distract away from that possibility. I think we read a very fine article in the fellow uh, was a theologian professor, and he talked about Ars Mariendi, and I loved the paper. It was in the Wall Street Journal, and it still knocks me out because it's one of the more profound articles the I've most, read. The most profound one they've had in a long time. Yeah, and he talks about, and of course it's, to him it's real because he's taking care of his dying wife, as I am too, yeah. and I knew this is more than just a, a, a professor. This guy was talking from the heart as well. Absolutely. And when he was talking about that, he was talking about how that applies to this COVID-19 crisis. And he was really talking about how the fear and the anxiety people are suffering from and how intense it is. And he says, how many people ask themselves, what's behind that? And the truth of the matter is, he said, and he's called it mortal fear. People are so afraid to face the possibility of death and dying. And the truth is, we're all going to face death and dying someday. For one reason or another. As a universal as that experience is, check out what life, how our culture is designed and the values are set up. Yeah. We don't even want to go near that or even look at it. We don't want to consider it's too heavy. It's too difficult. And yet, it's a, it's a life. It's a condition of life. So she's getting some um, signals right now. From <laughs> you don't have to stop so, cold. No. I know you like to go on, but you don't have to stop cold. Go ahead. Cold. I want to be respectful of the one-minute finger and the two-minute <laughs> finger. The two and the, okay. and the, okay, the plug. Okay. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, mm -hmm. Jenny Stevenson. Uh, Peter and I are talking about the most constructive, positive way to respond in very difficult times such as where we are now. Uh, first, we need to look at ourselves, see where we are. We need to look at what we've lost. We've lost control, we've lost possessions. Uh, we may not know how to proceed uh, and through all of this, 
a common thread is intense emotion and uh, fear, anger, loss, grief. How do we continue to survive, cope with what's going on in the midst of all these emotions which can really derail us? Well, that's one of our specialties professionally, uh, um, certainly personally too, in, in learning how to read our emotions and, and learning that emotions themselves are not our normal feeling state that we're born with, the intuitive state. We call it professionally the felt state. I think it was Eugene Gilhorn's book uh, labeled it uh, that. But emotional reactions aren't the normal intuitive states. It's based on traumatic experiences. It's based on something that seems so distorted. You can always count on emotion is a normal reaction, but yet it will distort um, how we respond, how we, well, we don't respond, we usually react. Um, how we begin to see life, and it's not filled with hope. It's filled with despair, discouragement, fearfulness, anger, um, striking out like we're seeing so much of that going on now. We're taking the frustration, all the pent up frustration, and doing such destructive things at such a massive level, that's happening now Do you too. see that now, right? Yeah, and that's, that's heartbreaking, and it's also, it's unacceptable, as far as I'm concerned. It's what's behind some of it, I mean, no question, um, you know, as an aside, there, there's a, in the police departments, in the um, police law enforcement, there's some bad apples, but not everybody at all. There's a lot of good caregiving people in there, and look at, the, look at how they're being treated. And abused. It and sounds like you're saying, and I think I agree, that some of the really strong, violent responses uh, to the police force at this time may be uh, part of the pent-up frustration and anger around the pandemic. I absolutely know it. I expected this to happen, and I just didn't know what form it would take. But yes, and the violence is heartbreaking, devastating, um, and they've used some very bad, no question, some terrible, traumatic, horrible experiences as an excuse to explode all over the country and do things that are so dangerous and disrespectful and uh, put, pitting, putting race against race. And I, I, that breaks my heart. I'll be honest with you. To me, it's human to human, having compassion and love for, it doesn't matter what color your skin is. In fact, a person who's in need, in need may be less, less, um, in, in a, not as good a position because of maybe because of their their race or their nationality. You help them, you know. You know yeah, but to to all of a sudden make it filled with hatred and violence, that is terrible. And we're seeing that. Now. We are. That's, we are. I don't buy it. And the the media is also not helping at all. I believe they're fueling it, and uh, I think the media is actually perpetuating a lot of this and. A lot of the political reactions aren't helping either. So I look at this and think we're really we're in a messy situation, upheaval and chaos. I, I expected it. Um, I was hoping it wouldn't happen, but I did expect it. But that's what emotions can be doing. They do. can be very destructive. Right, and, and everybody has them. I mean, we're talking about when you're, you're going through a traumatic crisis, like we are right now, a COVID-19 crisis, of course we're terrified. Of course it brings up old feelings, if we've had traumatic pasts and we've had terrible things before, it can bring all of that back up as well. We call it triggering. So we know all about that. We also know that the body absorbs and is the reservoir 
from all the old trauma and all the emotional experiences. And if you don't know how to use your, read your body and when you don't know how to access and diffuse and decompress those emotions, they just pent up, they build up until you explode, either against yourself or others. So um, we it's know a, that could happen. It's, when people talk about stress building up in their body, I think everybody gets that. But we're talking about that and then it intensifying beyond stress to a level where, where people start to act out destructively or act in against themselves. And it, it builds on itself. Right. And a lot of people don't know how to manage emotion at all. Um, that was our specialty, and it still is at the Bernstein Institute that we know you've got to access the stuff that the body's holding and learn to read your body and what it's telling you um, to give you a, a, an indicator of what you've absorbed, um, what you're feeling, uh, what needs to be dealt with, and then either seeking help or finding ways to deal with it. Release it, yeah. Yeah, we find ways that it needs to be dealt with. All of our staff, all of us take care of each other, we take care of our own. Um, we make sure that, that nobody is allowed to build up too much of a charge emotionally because it's going to affect their work. It's going to create resentment and bitterness. And eventually what we want to avoid, and I think we do a pretty good job, is burnout. We person is, they don't want to work anymore. They don't want to do it and they don't want to help anybody. Or they so, might have that affect their physical health. As if it goes too far, it's We've seen it every time, yeah. that their physical health deteriorates, strokes, heart attacks, cancer. But we could see these things that we've seen it in so many, uh, the paramedics, the firefighters, and how they sick they get. Mm -hmm. and, um, and they're taught to be strong and hang in there. And Well, so was I. But there is a certain point you've got to have built-in self-care. That's what gives you the resilience, and that's what we teach people, and that's how we also help them recover from the effects of trauma. If we've also seen people that have had traumatic trauma in their past, and when you're in a crisis like we are now, it can trigger that old emotional material that's been either buried, or there's old wounds that have never healed completely, and all of a sudden that intensity comes up into the present. So it causes a contaminating effect. So instead of just dealing with normal fears, and there is in a crisis there are, taking the normal precautions, being aware of the danger. Absolutely, there is a, such a thing as normal fear. But when a person has this triggering, that fear turns into paranoia. It turns into panic it and hysteria. amplifies everything. Amplifies, distorts. And distorts. And when people overreact, they learn what is paranoia. They don't trust anybody. They look with, with suspicion and distrust at people and relationships. Everything's a threat. Yeah. Everything's very negative and they blame others. And the truth of the matter is it's because they're being contaminated from old stuff that's coming up. They're also susceptible to other people's trauma and old triggering. So they absorb that or, or that triggers them again. So we are seeing that we know how to separate that out. We also know why it's so important. Because we're not saying that we have this crisis resolved or any crisis um, this one resolves. What we are saying is, when you decompress your emotions and you get back to a normal feeling state, what it does is it restores your energy. It restores your perspective and it gives you a new sense of hope that there's going to be a better day. That you can go back to this difficult situation and face it and have an appropriate 
responses to it. There's that old saying that you may not be able to change your situation, but you can change yourself and how you're responding to and it. And that's Viktor Frankl, and he went through the Holocaust for nine years, uh, four years. He's a very famous psychiatrist, but he had more than just psychiatry. The man had a really hum human, earth earthly sense of there is hope even in the face of the most horrendous circumstances that we may not be able to change. The one thing we can do something about is how we respond. When you keep your emotional life decompressed and clear, and you're able to read your body and you know how to get rid of it, um, you can go back and have a perspective on making a different choice on how you're going to deal with these different situations. I don't see very much of that going on these days, I hate to say it, but we live in that, so we know how to do it. We know what needs to be done. We are tr triggered, we have bombardments, we absorb things, we know when we, we're hurting, we know that we need to decompress. So we're not coming from places sitting on therapist's couch looking down at a patient. We're coming from human to human. But the thing is, we have a, more experience and we can consult and mentor people and coach them through this to get to another side of life and actually grow and increase who they are and improve who they are through these difficulties. And as they get through it, they do discover hope. One, and, they, and they do discover um, trust and faith too. I was just gonna say that one of the things that you've, point, you've brought up Viktor Frankl, one of the things that, that you share, that we share with him, is a sense of faith, a personal faith that sustained him and, and, and sustains us as well. And that doesn't have to be a religious thing. I mean, it can be, but I know mine came through not religiosity. In fact, I was, didn't do well with religiosity at all. But it came through personal experience, and it came through crises and trauma, and discovering that there was a power greater than myself in charge, and that it got me through. And I lived through some horrendously dangerous situations, and I made it. But I, and that didn't mean I wasn't traumatized, it didn't mean that I wasn't in bad shape, but there was something about it that told me there was a, there was, there was a power, and I, call, I know it was God. Now, to me, I do believe in God, and I, I have been, in my worst challenges about my spirituality, and I've had my moments of total bankruptcy of the soul kinds of experiences, where I raised my fist at God. How could you let this happen? How unjust could you be? And I remember thinking, well, I'm gonna be cast into hell for this, and I don't care. But the truth is, that's not what happened. And as I admitted my rage and about the unfairness of situations, the horrors that I'd seen, uh, the nightmares of situations that I had seen and, and been affected by, I really, there was, there, was some, there was a message in it to me, and it was clear that I was gonna learn from this and I was gonna grow from this. And the first part of it was to be real and authentic and that I wasn't in charge of everything. And that I may have had some righteous plans and ideas, but the truth of the matter is that wasn't gonna run the show. There was a bigger plan. There was something that was a, a calling upon my life that was meant to uh, turn my life around in a new direction. And that's exactly what happened. For where I sit today, Considering where I started, we're talking about two different universes. And frankly, I know that it was a spiritual awakening during the worst times of my life. So I go through hard times now. I'm going through this and 
catering and lo and loving selflessly my my love my love of my life, my wife of 40, 44 years, but they got almost forty seven, and we have the crisis and we're helping other people, and I still can have hope, and I still feel that there's purpose in all of this, and I still feel that I can respond to the needs as they as they come up. Um, but there's something deeper inside of me that says it's going to be all right. There's a bigger picture to all of this. You, you've written, you wrote in the paper that uh, these are your words. You say, whatever tomorrow brings, we must trust that there will be answers for the challenges as they emerge. And the source of this for you is God. For me, it is. No question about it. And you know, when I, uh, uh, you know, when I'm in my worst emotional states, and I do have it, of course, with my wife dying, helping other people deal with the same kind of things I am, of course. Uh, my mother's also dying, my 95-year-old mother. I mean, I got my hands full, very meaningfully so. But you know, there was a, there's another part to me that says, be grateful and appreciative for what you still do have. And I've learned to make the best of the most, the smallest little increments I find, to, I find ways to be great. I don't have to seek them out. They're the right thing. I've learned appreciation and gratitude that I didn't have before, and I never would have gotten there. So I look at that, and then I also realize you can't worry about tomorrow, next week, or next year, because that just makes you more and more anxious. When the time comes, I know that I will have the strength or whatever it takes to meet the situation when it comes. It's not here now. And when I do that, I can appreciate and be grateful for what I have today. Great. And give it my one, give it 100%. I, I'm there with you, and I hate to cut you off. I've got to go That's to right. another go break. That's all right. Go ahead. You're, you're doing the good stuff right now. Uh, you've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's <laughs> Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson, and I had to stop Peter. He thought we were rolling and we were. I did a great. I did great. You he did it great, all. and so hopefully we will recapture that moment. Where Peter was going was he was he wanted what was coming up for him as he was remembering, as part of his faith, uh, going back and looking at some of the old stories of people in the Bible who were not the paragons of virtue. On the opposite, and you know what? I could identify with them. And so to me, it was like all of a sudden the Bible came down to earth and was talking about very flawed people, sinners, people who did a lot of terrible things. Well, hello. And I'm looking at this and I'm looking at, holy girl, what's going to come out of this for them? And then as I read and studied, there was a lot that came out and there was purposes to their, what they went through and how God redeemed them and used them. And sometimes they were treated so unfairly. I think of Joseph. My God, did the guy get treated unfairly? He was thrown into a pit with his brother by his brothers. He was thrown into jail from. Uh, he was uh, doing a great job as a servant, and the, I think it was the king's wife was turned on to yeah, him. Yeah, she, she wouldn't. He wouldn't he respond would not, to her, he so she accused him. He wouldn't him. dishonor his relationship with his boss. Yeah, and she she lied, and he was thrown into jail for years. Yeah, and interestingly, through all of that, eventually. 
he was brought out, he was asked to do something, and he be, later became the governor of Egypt. He became the second most powerful person to the... And he saved thousands of people. Right at that time, there was a famine. A famine. And guess who he saved? His own family. His own family, the people who threw him in the pit. Yeah. And um, I remember he said to them, you, might, you meant it for evil, what you did to me. Right. But God made something good out of it. And here he was with the heart and empathy to help hundreds of, not thousands, hundreds of thousands of people during this famine. And he was in charge. Mm -hmm. And who comes, the people that persecuted him unfairly and wanted to kill him, and he wound up, he wound up feeding them and saving them. Yeah. There are so many stories like that. So many. Yes. yes. And David, who was an adult. I mean, the stories of David were incredible. Yeah, here we have God, a man after God's own heart is the way he's described yeah. so many times. And, and then boy, look at some was, of the things he did. He did some really rotten stuff. Yeah. But I, it, it was good because it gave me some hope. And I, wow, if there's hope for them, then I guess there's hope for me too. And there's hope for a lot of others. And I'm not talking religiously, by the way. I just am not. I don't see myself as a religious person. I see myself as a spiritual person. Who am great, I'm grateful that I have a relationship with God. And why am I grateful? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm challenged all the time. And as strong as I am, and as capable as I find myself to be, the challenges I have in my life today take me far beyond my own capabilities, and I know when I come, I'm just, I'm broken, I am shot, there's nothing left to give. And this relationship, all of a sudden I have a, a strength and a renewal and a positive outlook again, and I'm going, now this can't be me, because I know my limits and I'm, I'm there and beyond it, where's this coming from? So I know there's a power greater than me, and I'm thankful for that relationship. I don't even have to, I do seek it, but I'll be honest with you, it's there for me, and it really helps me during these times. I think this is an example of something, and I think this is a time during crisis that people need to re-examine re their spiritual lives, whatever they may be. It may not be religious, but they need to take a look at their spirituality and see where they are with all of it. It may not look so good. They may come out with seeing holes. You know, what are the kinds of things that if people take a good look at their spirituality now, what kinds of ways could they have possibly kind of gone off off track in in that part of their life? Well, it takes a crisis to wake somebody up who profess, professes to be so religious and righteous, and then to discover you're not so righteous and you're not so much what you were talking about. The crisis really unmasks where you really are, painfully maybe, so. Maybe what you say you believe and the way you think life should be lived that you're really not really That's right. that way. And there are plenty of people that I know that hide out in religiosity. And this exposes that. Because you you're meant to, you will look you will find out you can't hide out. And it's quite painful a challenge to come to the that kind of authenticity and truthfulness to go, oh my God. I'm not what I profess to be. I'm not. Now, maybe other people are confronting you. Eventually, when you're stripped, you'll look at yourself. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very valuable experience. There's, there's something that comes out of this as you examine this, and that is how to um, come to a point where you know you put your dependence on God to, a, right? But then you've got to also take responsibility for your part. That's another aspect of that too, and you, I think you sometimes call this. Maybe it's not quite exactly, it's spiritualizing, where you just say, I'm just giving it up to God, and, and I'll just, you know, he's bigger than me, he'll take care of it, and I don't need to do anything. 
Yeah, and I think God wants us to do our part too. And he gives us the strength and the ability to do that. I've seen times when people can't do anything for themselves, like my wife, my mother, other people we've helped. And there is something very special, and I saw it with my dad and others, that spiritually is, is, is so rich and it, it affects everybody around them, and yet they're helpless. So there is something there. I think we all have to examine it ourselves. Um, you can find your own religiosity or spirituality. I've been grateful in finding my own. Um, and I encourage people during this time to examine that. I think that's another way people go sometimes is to deny. I'm not talking about denying God. I'm just denying that there is a spiritual element to life. And, and that, well, when you're in a crisis, and I call it a, a spiritual crisis, that come, that's what happens. Um, you can, I've seen religious people and uh, kids I remember who come out of Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, warriors, and who went in thinking they were very religious, and they came out and you couldn't even mention God or religion. They were so furious that God could let these horrors happen and look what ha and how they came out. Mm -hmm. they, were, they came out pretty bad themselves. And I remember looking at that and it was very painful. We call it a, a, a moral injury. Moral injury. We call, personally, in our work, we call it a bankruptcy of the soul. Yeah. We know that happens, I, it happened to me. But out of that, a lot of good can come. And all of a sudden, religiosity may be stripped away, mm -hmm. but the spiritual aspect of man becomes more apparent. And it's not just straight out wonderful. You have to go through the difficulties and the battle yeah. to find what really matters and what really counts in life. That's the kind of thing we want to emphasize in everything, that you do have to go through these things in the crisis, but the true resiliency will come as you go through it, and there will be hope. And as the smoke clears, you begin to find a new way of seeing life. You begin to, to, to see what's really important in life, and the other things that you thought were important and the world thinks are important, they just don't matter anymore. People that want to, you, you know, I call it sucking your energy and using you and um, abusing you. I look at that and I, I look at it as such a waste of my energy. I don't, I don't waste my time on it. Um, and if it's meant, and if it's for, if it's thrust in my face, I'm not the most religious type in the world. I still have my street smarts and my street abilities, and I don't put up with it. But I don't want it in my face, and I don't want to waste too much time on it because I have more important things to do to put my energy in more positive place, more meaningful, purposeful places where that's what really counts to me. So I'm very efficient, and we all need to learn to be putting our energy where it really counts, with good people, surrounding ourselves with good people, mm -hmm. showing a loving compassion, a selfless giving. All of these things come through the process of struggle. I've, thought, I've heard about selfless love for years. I love the idea. And I, can, I thought I was selfless, but not like today. Not when I'm dealing with my wife who I adore, or my mother, or others. And I know what, I don't expect, I wish I could get something back, but it's not in agreement anymore, recipro reciprocity. It's, I'm there to take care of them and love them fully and completely, without expectations that they can give me very much back. If my wife takes, opens her eyes and takes a breath and says a word, I'm happy. That makes my day. Um, other things like that are happening all the time. There's a selflessness, and I'm not really gonna get too much back, but yet what I do get back fulfills me. 
those are the intangibles we're talking about. The fulfillment. Back to the intangibles. That's right. That's right. And it gives life meaning and purpose. That's yeah. you. You stress. I know we only have a little bit of time left, but you, you, you do stress that one of the the one of the really valuable things that can come out of going through a hard time is to really start to see more clearly what your calling, what your purpose in life could be. Yeah. That's right. I, I, you're looking at a guy who didn't think this was his calling, that's for sure. Not in the world I grew up in. And I look at, sometimes I watch movies of the world I grew up in, and now they're portrayed, and I'm going, that was how I was raised to be, and that's the world I was in. And boy, that has nothing to do with the way I am today, and yet it is part of me. And how it's, I can use those skills and experiences to help others, to come alongside others that feel frozen and petrified and weak and broken. And I can give them encouragement and hope, not from a book, not from schooling, but from life experience, my life experience and the experience of helping thousands of other people over the years. I, I feel that this is a time when we're gonna come to, there's gonna be good things that are gonna come out of it. I don't wanna be insensitive though. We're not there. No, we're not there. We yet. are not there right now. And I do see times very insecure, very unsure. Uh, I'm also a survivor, and I, I help people survive and the skills they need to survive. And I'm good at it because I've been doing it a long time. So I know when there's sometimes, we're not talking about the big picture. We're talking about putting one foot in front of the other and knowing how to survive day to day. Very practical things. Very practical things. You need things. to know those. So you got to have a combination of both of those things going at all times and the sensitivity mm -hmm. to apply what, what, when to apply what. Um, I think that psychologists at the VA are many of them who think that it's always insensitive to talk about um, post-traumatic growth. growth. They're wrong. Yeah. But yet, if you apply it at the wrong time, they're right, and they're being would be very insensitive and disrespectful. But after a point, if you're still stuck in that negativity, you're not helping anybody, and either are they thinking that way. So we don't want to do that, and yet we know what going through tough times is. We know what resilience, what it takes to get there. We know that this is very applicable to what's happening right now on a massive level, and our heart is with all the suffering, all the pain um, that I see, all the, the people, how unsure they are and frightened. Um, and they know we're not out of it. In fact, it, we could be going back into a greater crisis. We don't know. We don't know. So those are the times things are very unsure right now. That's what we have to be sensitive to, but not to lose sight of the big picture. Right. We may not know for sure what's going to happen, but I do know for sure that we will be back with Very this good. message. That's pretty, hey, that's smooth. I like that. Hey. You know what? Let's lighten it up a little bit. No, we are. This is our commitment to come back every week with a message of hope and resilience and practical uh, things that people can do. And we've done it again today. Yep. So. And we're not sitting on any And we have, 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 yep. We only know because we've we have hard times ourselves. to go right back to right after this to help people, and then we face our own. So no, we don't sit on any throne looking down at not anybody. At we We're can't afford to do that. We're in a kitchen, not a throne. The Survivor's Guide to Life is made possible through a grant from Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment, a 501c3 public charity. Uh, please consider making a donation at www.sctraumatreatment.org or our GoFundMe charity campaign. 
You'll find our podcast on our website, thesurvivorsguidetolife.com, as well as a video format on our YouTube channel and all the regular podcast outlets. Please like us and share us on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, to get in touch with Peter or I, get a copy of Peter's paper right here. And we're going to have some other surprises available to people soon, too. Soon. Yeah. At, uh, you can get in touch with me, Jenny, at BernsteinInstitute.com or call 707-781-3335. And thank you for joining us. And stay and, safe and well. Yeah, hang in there and don't give up. <laughs>